This is The Lottery on Blue Wire Podcast. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. We are officially in off-season mode. I think we milked Summer League for as much content as we possibly could. Um, not much going on. I saw The Lion King this weekend, which made me miss basketball even more. Before we get started, make sure to check out harrys.com slash bluewire for all of your shaving needs. Our guest this week is always cleanly shaven. He's a staff writer and producer at Bleacher Report. David Gardner, what's up, buddy? How's hey, the summer going? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I'm almost 30, and uh, I have to shave approximately once a week to keep. The only <laughs> thing that I can really get is a mustache, and uh, even then, it's a little creepy because it's a little thin. <laughs> Dude, you got to rock that the mustache, the thin, the thin mustache with nothing else on it. That's uh, that's a, a pure look. Some aviator sunglasses, a deep V-neck. I can really round out my look. I think that'll get, uh, that'll get me a lot more interviews moving forward. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wish we had uh, a video um, image to go with this podcast. Put it in the podcast um, notes, a picture of me looking yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. When I asked you to jump on this podcast, you said, sure, what are we going to talk about? And my initial response was, I actually have no idea because <laughs> there's nothing going on. So let's just bounce around. We'll talk a little bit, uh, everything from you know rookies to some of the top 2020 prospects to the offseason moves. Let's start, I guess, with, with the rookies because they're kind of fresh in our mind from Las Vegas. How about an open-ended question? You know, any any hot takes right off the bat of any of any of the rookies um, or the class in general? Yeah, I don't know if this is a hot take because I feel like the conventional wisdom came around a little bit on him. But, you know, I just thought Tyler Hero was uh, way better than anybody who hadn't watched him uh, expected. You know, I think it was like his shooting was the draw. But uh, what really made him stand out was the fact that he can put the ball on the uh, on the ground and he can make some moves and stuff. And I think you saw that uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, and I think it's going to carry over to the regular season. I think he's going to have a really uh, strong rookie year with the heat. I think he's like just the kind of player that they need. And so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Uh, and then, you know, the only other hot take I really had from summer league, which was that, uh, I really felt like I, I would have rather seen a lot more guys than we got the chance to see. Yeah. I think it was like a little bit of a disappointment. And I feel like it was interesting to see how unenthusiastic many rookies were about playing in it. It was almost as if they were veterans, you know, and I thought that the enthusiasm of Zion Williamson would have carried over to some other guys. But as soon as he went down, I felt like, I don't know, there was a little dip because I think people wanted to come at the king and they didn't get the chance to do it. I mean, I hope I hope summer league doesn't become the new NBA combine, right. where the top guys don't don't participate and and the teams don't care, uh, and they're more worried about um, keeping them healthy or whatever. But let's go back to Tyler Hero. Listen, he's not he's not Devin Booker, but it kind of reminded me of that same situation where all of a sudden we got to see Tyler Hero do things that we didn't really see him do much of at Kentucky, like put the ball down and, and create his own shot. And I mean, summer league was such a perfect setting for Hero who is, you know, he's, he's fueled by confidence, right? And with, a, with having a green light and the ability to play through mistakes that Calipari really wouldn't give him, I mean, he, he took a lot of bad shots, but he made a lot of bad shots. And he, and he attempted some things that we didn't get to see him attempt. And, uh, yeah, definitely somebody in a redraft would probably go higher than number 13. And you like to think on this Miami team, uh, he, he's going to get some minutes, right, at that two-guard spot. I mean, it, it wouldn't be surprising if, if he rises up to the top of the depth chart. Um, 
anybody else come to mind or, or you have no, more? No, I was just going to say I totally agree. And I also think that it's just something to keep in mind for draft observers as you go forward is that uh, it's not a knock on Calipari. Obviously, no college coach does more for his players to get them to the league than Calipari does. But he also does kind of contain guys in their system. I think back to a couple years ago, Carl Anthony Towns during the combine, everybody was like, holy crap, this guy can shoot threes. Well, in high school, he shot threes. Like it was obvious that he was mm-hmm. a three-point shooter. It just that wasn't what he was asked to do at Kentucky. And so Cal does kind of limit his guys in terms of what he likes for them to do. Some of that has to do with the fact that those teams are always so stacked with talent that you kind of have to play within your role. You have to distribute the ball fairly. Sometimes he's got those platoons, like was the joke a couple seasons ago. But I just think it's something to keep oh, yeah. in mind with these Kentucky guys as they come out is that sometimes they have been a little bit constrained by the system. And I thought you saw throughout the season flashes that Hero was able to do what he was going to do but he kind of confined himself to a three and d sort of guy at kentucky but you could see it if you were paying attention you could see some flashes of what he was able to do and i just think for me it was a reminder as we move forward with kentucky guys just to kind of make sure that i'm paying a lot of attention to what they're doing outside the system to pay attention to those flashes that they're showing so that you can really properly evaluate what they might be able to do at the next level yeah i think tyler hero was like 12 of 20 on pick and roll ball handling uh opportunities when he did get them at Kentucky and um, he converted, you know, when, when he had the chance to, to put the ball down and make something happen. And I, I'm in agreement. I don't, I don't blame Calipari. It's kind of, we also forget college basketball. It's, it's, it's only 30 games or so. So you, there's not that much time to fool around. Like you, you got to have these guys play to their strengths and you have to have them on that path to, to, to peak at the right time of college basketball. It's not an 82 game season where you can mess Absolutely around. Absolutely not. Um, so I think that definitely that plays a little bit of a role in, in why guys look so, um, you know, in a straitjacket um, during yeah. college hoops. Um, let's see. I, I, I was looking at the rookie of the year. Um, well, first off, before we get to rookie of the year, my hot take is that I think this is going to be a really bad rookie mm. year. <laughs> I mean, like, not, I'm not saying like long term. I mean, there's always, you know, right now, you know, in 2016, that, that draft, um, or was it 2015? Or, or with uh, with McCollum and and those guys who just got a hundred million, um, actually let's go back to two thousand the one with Malcolm Brogdon won okay. Rookie of the Year, like that was a that was a disaster season for for the rookies. But then later on you see guys emerge like Siakam. I think this year is going to be similar where the, none of, none of, none of the rookies really have uh, big seasons, um, except for maybe Zion. Zion's not even a huge favorite for Rookie of the Year. He's minus one thirty five, and then John Morant is wow, plus three hundred. And then, right, so he's not even like a crazy, crazy favorite. And then Barrett's plus 550. And then everybody after that is just a monster long shot. So they're basically saying only three guys can win the award this year. And I think Barrett is going to struggle this season. Uh, I thought he was going to struggle even before the Knicks signed like seven <laughs> forwards. Um, and, and, and Morant is going to have, you know, a crazy inefficient year. Um, he's going to have a lot of production, but he's probably going to shoot, you know, maybe 40%. Um, he's probably going to be close to leading the league in turnovers. Who would you who would you bet? You know, I guess would Zion be yeah, your pick for rookie of the year? First about the you know you you brought up Malcolm Brogdon's draft class, and I'm just trying to think like who else from that like that hasn't turned out to be a golden draft class. Even you know forget about like that initial year like it was Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, one two three right, and then like. Who else has emerged from that class? Maybe Jamal Murray was there. Uh, but that was the year Thon Maker went 10. That was a weird, weird draft. And I don't know that a lot of talent has emerged from right, that, that draft. Right. But then, but right. So then you look deeper. Mm-hmm. Like Levert went 20. Um, oh, yeah. Siakam went 27. DeJounte, DeJounte Murray, 29. So guys like yeah. came out later on. But in, the, in their first seasons, those rookies 
most of them sucked. And I think the same is going to happen for most of the rookies this year. So to me, I think it's very clearly Zion has rookie of the year to lose. I mean, we were talking about some of the other guys at the top of the you know draft order and some of the other guys who have reprojected in the rookie of the year rankings that you uh, listed off there. And so like, I totally agree with you that John Morant is going to have probably an up and down season. It's really hard to transition as a point guard into the NBA. And then R.J. Barrett, I mean, he put up, he might put up some incredible raw stats, but I think that Knicks team is not <laughs> built for success. That's, you know, putting it kindly. And so Zion, to me, is the guy. The only thing that I think could hamper Zion is that the hype is so high for him right now. And he did at Duke sometimes defer. And sometimes it was head-scratching how often he would, especially late in games, let RJ be the guy who took the ball or let Cam Reddish be the guy who took the shot. I think he's a great teammate. And I think sometimes his tendency and his desire to be a really great teammate makes him a little bit too deferential for someone of his talent. So you could look at that Pelicans roster and say, this is kind of a weird team, but they do have a lot of talent on the floor. And how they distribute the ball might lead to Zion taking kind of a secondary role behind guys who are ball dominant, like Drew Holiday, like Lonzo Ball, you know, Brandon Ingram might be a bigger part of that offense. So if they're really well balanced, that could work against him, even if it works in to- in some, you know, for the Pelicans benefit. Like, I think that they're a potential playoff team. Yeah. I mean, actually, the more you talked, if I were to place a bet, I, I'm, I wouldn't bet on Zion. Now, he probably is. He's still the favorite. But in terms of payouts, I mean, I'd rather take Morant. And I think it's because, like you said, there's a lot of malice to feed in New Orleans, plus Zion not wanting to make too many mistakes sometimes. Um, and I think he's going to have somewhat of an adjustment in terms of scoring and create his own shot in the, in the half court. That's, this is not going to be as easy as it was um, at Duke. And so between that and I think Morant, who is going to be playing 35 minutes a game, dominating the ball, I'm pretty confident he's going to be a high assist guy right away. Like I wouldn't be shocked if he averaged eight assists right away. And if he got to 15 points and eight assists and shot relatively, uh, you know, I'd say above 40% and Zion, you know, I don't think Zion's going to have Luka Doncic's numbers. I think he's probably going to have something closer to Aiton's numbers of like 15 and 10 on 60% shooting. I think it's going to be pretty close between those two. And, um, and I, th- I think Barrett, I don't even think Barrett's going to put up big numbers this year. I w- it would have made sense to me before they signed all these guys, but um, there are so many, like, I just don't think that the offense is going to run through him. There are a lot of redundancies on that roster. So many. Yeah. Right. And and the young guys are like, Knox is going to want shots and Trier is going to want shots as well. Um, And Dennis Smith always wants shots. Um, And, uh, and then Marcus Morris, who they just gave 15 million, probably selling him to be, you know, the the go-to guy in the offense, which he's never been. Uh, I, I, and, and, and Barrett struggled in the summer league. Let's be honest. I know he put up some good, you know, uh, assist and rebounding numbers, but I think his limit, his weaknesses were really exposed during summer league. Another guy who's, who, who relies so much more on, on instincts and his physical tools over actual skill level. when it comes to creating his own shot and, and shooting it is going to be a problem also. So I, I think Barrett's going to have a tough rookie year another interesting rookie of the year odds um michael porter jr as plus 1800 which is the same as kobe white plus 1800 and garland is plus 1600 i don't think michael porter jr has a shot but he's going to be um an interesting 
guy to follow. Uh, any other thoughts on, on any of the rookies that we haven't touched on? I would say Michael Porter Jr. is an interesting guy just to have a conversation about. It's, you know, if you go back to a couple of years ago at Hoop Summit, you, you know, every GM, every decision maker, every scout came away from that thinking to themselves, Michael Porter Jr. is the number one player in this class, hands down. I think if he hadn't gotten injured, he would have been in contention for the number one pick. I don't, I don't know if he can be rookie of the year on what it what amounts to like a pretty good Denver team. Like that's a Western Conference contender right there. And I think he actually is something that Denver lacks, like that great wing talent who can really score at will. And so like if he's healthy, I think that there's a possibility that he's a sleeper, but it's hard to do that, you know, injured to come back your technically second year and get rookie of the year like I kind of thought that Harry Giles would be a sleeper this year but he was in a similar position where he was on a team in Sacramento that had a lot of big guys and so he had a great season uh, you know by you know his own standards after having not played basketball for two and a half years but he didn't end up you know setting the world on fire in like a rookie of the year kind of way I think Michael Porter Jr. if he ends up being a you know 12 and 9 guy and he plays significant minutes I think you take that as a win. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys where you put like 10 bucks down on him and just, you know, have fun with it. Yeah. Um, he has played 53 total minutes over the past two seasons um, and, and throw him on that Denver team who has who is going to be gunning for, um, you know, the, the Western Conference finals this year. And, and they have so many good players uh, at every position, I guess, except for that wing spot. Well, you're right. They could use help there. I just don't think he's going to be ready to, to give it to them. Uh, this year no I think you're looking at like what Harry Giles probably had seven and four or something like that in like 15 minutes a game and I think like he hadn't played competitive basketball in two seasons very similar like story in my mind between the two of those guys super talented out of high school just got bad breaks and like I think if you look at that like I think if you're Michael Porter Jr. and you have a season like Harry this year and you start building towards you know that second contract I think that's you know your best case scenario yeah, we're, we're going to find out a lot about Porter um, in 2021, yes. uh, I think would be the year. All right, let's talk about a couple of the um, incoming freshmen, or I guess LaMelo Ball won't be a freshman. He'll be in Australia. Um, obviously, he's one of the most polarizing guys in the entire basketball community discussion. Uh, I thought he made a wise move by going to Australia. I think we all knew he was never going to go play college basketball. But I think in terms of his options were to be, you know, train like Mitchell Robinson and Baisley did uh, or go overseas. And I think he made a pretty good call, uh, not just in terms of for his basketball development, but for his reputation. So he can kind of look more professional. Uh, What's your take on LaMelo Ball? Do you like him as a prospect? Do you think he made a good move? Yeah, let's let me have this conversation with you here, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit rather than uh, being the uh, you know host of this podcast and putting everything to me. Uh, I argued for a long time, not in public, but just you know among NBA people, that I thought the best move for Lamelo would have been to do the G League select contract thing. And my argument was mm. basically, here's a guy who's never been coached in his entire life and seems to be to me the most talented of the Ball brothers, like just pure basketball talent. I think he's going to be just better than Lonzo. But he needs to be in an environment where he is really like there are exacting demands placed on him because he's never had that. I don't think that's his fault. I think that's family dynamics and things that were out of his control. And I think that he's coachable ultimately. And I think the best thing he could have done is proved that. And I don't think, you know, I think if he, it would have been a disaster if he did the kind of Darius Baisley sit out for a season, I think he would have maybe even slid into the second round. But I feel like if he had taken the G League select contract route, not only would the NBA have been grateful because they would have put some, you know, prime spotlight on a program that they're trying to develop, but 
also, I think he would have been able to show the biggest weakness that people perceive in him right now, which is just like he's such an enigma when it comes to what is his what is his role going to look like on a team? Will it just be a circus like it has been with the other balls or will there be like a little bit more serious basketball thing here? So I'd be curious to hear if you thought, you know, we didn't actually talk about this, you know, offline or anything, but I'd be curious to hear if you thought that would have been a better move for him. It would have been an interesting move. And so far, I don't think anybody has uh, been offered or accepted. Correct. I should say. The G League select. uh, which is 125,000 uh, for one year. And, and Rod Strickland is running that program and, and looking for guys. And so far, nobody, we don't know if he's offered it to anybody, but surely nobody has accepted it. Um, I, yeah, I would have certainly not bet on LaMelo accepting it, but yeah, it would have been a pretty cool thing to see him uh, in the G League. But um, his dad, and of course his dad, because he's the, the mouthpiece for the family, has always talked about uh, potentially going overseas. And so it wasn't a big surprise when he did, um, and uh, it, listen, there, there would have both been interesting moves um, to see to see how well he stacked up with the G League guys. And like you said, I'm sure the NBA would have been grateful. Uh, and and now they have to go all the way to Australia to watch him. And uh, his team just signed Aaron Brooks. I mean, it's they're they're going to be pretty competitive over there. And so I'm actually pretty high on Lamelo Ball as a prospect. I don't know him off the floor. I've never had a conversation with him. Uh, you know, I do my best to to follow his. Um, his his presence on social media and stuff to, to get a feel for for what type of kid he is, and uh, he's been put in the spotlight at such a young age. So I, I do give him some leeway, but in terms of his basketball game, I mean he's good. Yeah. He's definitely better than Alonzo Ball, and and he keeps growing. I mean I don't know what his his official measurements are, but he's at least six six, uh, maybe closer to six seven, and, and probably still growing. And his body changes every time you see him, and uh, we we know he how skilled he is um, in terms of ball handling and shot creating and, and shot making. We know about the shot making with those stupid logo pull-ups that <laughs> you took in high school, which he won't be able to do overseas because these guys have, you know, they're playing for something, the, these pros, and they have this reputation overseas uh, in Australia that they want to live up to of being tough and, and hard. And I think that's exactly what LaMelo needs to face. Now, I, I guess the question is going to be how big of a role is he going to have? And uh, and how are you going to evaluate him in terms of stacking him up with the other guys like Cole Anthony, who I want to touch on in a little bit. And so, you know, the ESPN put out their first mock draft. It was a couple months ago, I guess, um, Gavoni and Schmitz, and mm-hmm. they had him at 24. Now, I, I think that's way too low. I think that as long as no red flags pop up overseas, um, I think right now I have him around number five overall on my board. And that's partly also because I think this upcoming class isn't very good either. But, you know, where would you say, just based on an early meaningless projection, where would you slot him in the 2020 draft? If I were at number 10 and he hadn't been taken, if I were the GM at number 10 in that draft, I'd take him for sure. Mm-hmm. I think he's no doubt a top 10 talent. I mean, we've talked about his shooting for sure. I also think, like, he's got a great uh, floor vision as well. Another thing that you'd be eager to see as a talent evaluator coming up this year, like playing with professionals in a serious basketball league like will he look as good as he did you know in high school playing against these kind of scrubs Um, you know college basketball was never going to happen for him so this is the best environment for him to showcase himself other than like I was saying earlier if he had gone to the G League I think in pure in terms of pure top pure talent sorry uh, he is a top 10 pick I mean you look at Lonzo I think Lonzo was drafted pretty accurately uh, and I think he's better than Lonzo so you know what is where does that put him closer to you in the top five right I think your evaluation is closer than 24 but I understand why people 
are hesitant about him right now just because there's so much unknown. What you know is that like he has looked pretty good playing basketball. What you don't know is how that's going to transition into anything more serious and, and how he's going to handle the pressures of being in a really, really competitive environment. He's never been in a competitive environment like this right. before. Right. I guess the mature thing to do from a projection standpoint is slot him at 24 and then, and then Move say, him make, him, make him prove it. Right. Make yeah, it right. exactly. Move him up as the season goes. But I mean, they've uh, got him beneath, you know, I'm looking at this mock draft now since you mentioned it, but they've got him beneath Trey Jones. And I think you'd be crazy to take Trey Jones right. before you took LaMelo Ball. I, I, right. I, I don't see any reason why you would do that. And I'm a big fan of Trey Jones. And I think Tyus has turned out to be a good NBA player. And I think Trey is better than Tyus. But like, I don't understand why you would take that unless there were some huge red flags, which in my reporting, I haven't come across uh, in terms of LaMelo himself personally. Right. I think maybe he got all the childish behavior out early, you know, when the camera was on him at such a young age. And uh, maybe he kind of get got over that early now that he got it out of the way. And, and hopefully he learns a couple of things playing overseas. And, uh, you know, these grown men that he's playing with, um, maybe that'll – their maturity will rub off on him and he'll see what it's like to really be a professional. But uh, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, streaming his games because I know Bleach Report's not going to send me. Maybe they'll, they'll send you out there. Um, <laughs> Can we do but, a joint trip? We'll try to uh, figure that out. I'm in. Let's, uh, let, let's pitch it. Um, it's but, him yeah. and RJ Hampton, man. You know, we got to hit two guys while we're over yeah. there, Australia yeah. and New Zealand. That's right. Hampton's another guy we could talk about. Um, and who actually I haven't, compared to some of these other guys, I haven't seen Hampton as much. So he, he's also somebody else um, uh, that I'm looking forward to, to seeing another combo guard, um, just like LaMelo. And yeah, you, you briefly touched on his vision. His, he's a really good passer. I mean, he's going to be the, the, uh, the definition, like the signature type of combo guard who scores um, and, and play makes. So definitely the, the, the new age guard the teams are looking for. And so I, I think as long as no red flags pop, overseas he's going to shoot his way up the boards and as long as he interviews well he's going to be a top pick um, in my mind a guy who's staying here uh, North Carolina Cole Anthony son of Greg uh, another guy's been in the spotlight for a while uh, probably is going to start off on mock drafts top three and I'd be shocked honestly if he if he ever leaves that top five uh, conversation Again, just because right now it's tough to, to see how many guy, other guys leapfrog him. There, there's just not many standout, um, must must have uh, must have stars, you know, in, in this projected class. How much have you how much have you seen of Cole Anthony? Yeah, I've seen a lot more of him than of the other guys, just because I kind of did some of the you know high school all star game circuit. So the last time I saw him in person uh was at jordan brand which was in las vegas last year and he was the co-mvp of that along with james wiseman and i voted for him uh as co-mvp uh i think that he is gonna look great at north carolina this year i think you're what you just said right there was spot on which is he's top three right now and it'd be hard to imagine a scenario in which he drops out of the top three uh i think that him running the carolina break is going to be a thing of beauty and if you have any doubts about how good Carolina makes its point guards look. Just think about the fact that Kobe White came into the season probably as a borderline first round pick uh, and ended up being taken, you know, in the lottery, you know, significantly higher than that. I think that Cole is going to look really great running that offense. And I think that Roy gives his point guards a lot of freedom. I think Cole's a really heady player. He puts his teammates in good positions to score and to win. I think that, you know, his transition to the NBA may not be as seamless. I'm a little more cautious about him as an NBA long-term NBA prospect, but I think he will justify himself as being a top five pick when it's all said and done. The last I saw him live was at the Geico Nationals a, a couple months ago. 
and um, he just right, he just pops as a pro, um, and with with the athleticism and, and the skill, both as a shot creator and score and a passer. I think with him, it's going to come down to decision making and efficiency. Can he run the the offense right? Because we know he's going to put up points at North Carolina, and that's kind of why we know he's going to be a top pick because he's going to have the numbers to back up the potential. But, um, you know, personality wise, you know, he kind of reminds me a little bit. This is a weird it's not a basketball comparison, but personality wise, he reminds me a little bit of Colin Sexton, where he's just like this dude. If if he's on your team, he's going to be a fierce advocate for you. And if he's not, he is going to come after you and probably piss off. Like, he, I don't think he's going to bow to the veterans in the way that, like, say, Donovan Mitchell, you know, did a couple of years ago. I think right. that this dude is like out for blood. And I think you're going to see that. Like, I think he'll take the Duke rivalry very seriously. And so some GMs see that and they're like yes i want that guy i want the you know the fighter and some guys will see that and say oh i don't know you know he's going to turn off you know potential you know recruits or you know free agents or whatever uh, i'm interested to see how that aspect of his game is going to play out because from a basketball point of view i think he's a top five pick almost without question he's also a basketball junkie to the point where true story um and i tweeted it when it happened a couple months ago i'm playing a pickup game um in manhattan and we finish at 10 o'clock and Cole Anthony walks into the gym at 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night to start his workout. Uh, and, and he's just one of those guys who loves basketball. And uh, for a lot of these evaluators, that's one of the top things they look for. Like how much does he love the game? And I think he checks that box with like a, a bold check mark. And so um, that's just something you don't have to worry about with him. He, he's going to be in the gym all the time. Uh, and he's already seems to have that, that professional approach. And obviously he has um, a, a dad who can kind of teach him, how it's done. Last guy I want to touch on because I'm starting off with him as the number one prospect, and that's Anthony Edwards um, at Georgia. And I was just looking um, at the at, at Georgia put out their roster already, and they listed him at 6'5", 225, which is up from 210. I think he measured at McDonald's. And this guy is just – I mean, if you want to build a, a shooting guard in a lab, you have him look like this. And he's skilled in terms of creating his own shot and, and making shots, and uh, he's shown some secondary playmaking ability. Um, I've also seen him play live and, and he's completely disappeared where you wouldn't even know, uh, that he was really in the game or, or he was a top prospect. Uh, there's his, his coach and his, his high school have taken some, um, criticism for the way that they've used him. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he's used at Georgia and, and whether or not his game can translate to wins and not just highlights and stats. Do you have any thoughts on Anthony Edwards? Yeah, I love Anthony Edwards. And in fact, I was going to say, uh, I'm glad to hear that you have him as number one, because just in my, you know, I don't, I'm fortunate that I don't have to, you know, publish my top 10 anywhere. <laughs> but uh, in my personal top 10, I take Anthony Edwards over James Wiseman. And it's not a knock on Wiseman, because I think he's an extremely skilled big man. It's just that I think that the market for big men like Wiseman is less clear than it used to be, even for a rim protector like him. I don't know if he's a great three-point shooter yet. If he shows that at Memphis, maybe he holds on there. But like, it used to be a no-brainer that if you had a skilled seven-footer, you'd take him you know, number one overall. It's not a no-brainer to me anymore. I think instead you look at a guy like Anthony Edwards who can create. He can play both guard positions. I mean, he is probably more naturally a two, but I trust him to handle the ball. I trust him to see the floor. Uh, and it'll be interesting to me to see. I think the knock on him, like you said, is that like he doesn't seem to give 100% effort at all times. To me, I never really take that seriously as a knock if a guy doesn't show up and give his all in every single AAU game because that you know situation is just a disaster. If he comes out and he 
really plays hard for Georgia, like he did, like I expect him to, then I think that he's going to be a real, real argument for the number one pick. I, I'd take him ahead of Cole Anthony. I'd take him ahead of James Wiseman. Beyond those guys, those are probably the top American prospects. I think beyond that, you probably go to like Denny and Theo as your next couple of picks who are international guys. But to me, I really like Anthony Edwards. And I think the only thing that would make me concerned about him from a basketball point of view is if he kind of shows out like Ben Simmons did at LSU, where he just doesn't seem to care. In talking to him, he seems very invested in playing in Georgia. He's from Georgia, so he wants to be, you know, kind of the hometown hero. I think that combination will make it uh, work a little bit better. And I just think, you know, Tom Green's going to give him the green light and he's going to make good use of it. Yeah, I think Green's actually a great coach for him, uh, an energetic coach who's going to bring out the energy with him. And I'm in total agreement. I think we always uh, overanalyze or put too much stock into a guy's um, energy level at AAU or in high school. Like Simmons, same thing. Even I, I'll, I'll give myself um, criticism for being like, oh, yeah, he didn't play too hard on defense. Well, that looks pretty stupid now, right? Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, that's not my concern with that. If I have one concern with Edwards, it's, it's can he uh, – play within the offense and and give you winning plays. Um, we know he can make the flash plays and, and the one-on-one plays, but, but can that translate to uh, to winning team basketball? Um, and, and how is he going to adjust when he's getting double teamed and all that stuff? That, but in terms of natural talent, I think it's, he's pretty easily number one. And like you said, if I'm, if I'm choosing between a, a guard and a big man like Wiseman, I'll, I'd rather take my chances uh, on the upside tied to the guard as opposed uh, to the big man. And particularly with Wiseman, who um, – has really been up and down, I think, uh, even though he's clearly talented. Yeah. Um, I, I have a lot more confidence in, in Edwards. You mentioned Denny, uh, Denny Avdia uh, from Israel, who, who just won MVP of the U20. He's another guy who's going to be in that top five mix, uh, a well-rounded, do-it-all type of forward, struggles a little bit around the rim. Uh, his, his shooting touch is kind of up and down. But for an 18-year-old, his, his accomplishments overseas and, and this big tournament that he just put together – um, I, I'm, I'm high on him. I'm not, I'm, I'm still trying to, to, to assess where his ceiling is. Are we talking about a, a good role player like a Gallinari or are we talking about a star type of NBA guy? What's your thoughts on, on Denny's ceiling uh, and where do you think he stacks up in this 2020 class? Yeah, so I've watched, you know, a few games here and there uh, of him in Israel, but my most, you know, the the big impression that comes away for me is I watched him at Basketball Without Borders this year, and I thought it was, you know, he was the best player very clearly at All-Star Week there in Charlotte. I thought Killian Hayes was probably the second best player uh, in that tournament. Uh, and to me, I would say, uh, this is a weird comparison, but maybe Denny is like, the third in a big three you know Mm -hmm. if the nba keeps going moving to these like duos you know where it's like you know you've got Kawhi and you've got paul george and then you've got the third guy maybe it's patrick beverly i see like you know denny is maybe the third guy i don't know that he's a superstar but i think he's a guy that you give a rookie max extension to potentially down the road and i think he's maybe like the third star Mm -hmm. on a team which frankly you know if you're gambling and you're at the fifth pick and you are starting to gamble, like at the fifth pick, it's a high value. If you can get a guy who's worth a rookie max extension at number five, I think that's great value for your pick, especially in a draft like this one where you're going to be grasping at straws a little bit once you get past the top maybe three guys, which was like what this year was like to me as well. Right. So I see the exact same thing. When I said Gallinari, obviously there are differences in their games, but I picture Gallinari ideally as a, as a third scorer. Um, and so that's and he was the number six pick, and I thought that's a fine pick, and that's kind of where I would project Denny um, as well. 
So can I give you my uh, uh, sleeper for the 2020 draft as well? Let's hear it. Uh, Scotty Lewis. Yeah. I think that he is such a cerebral, such a heady player, so smart. I think he's in a really good situation at Florida where he's going to be able to do a lot of things. I think that they're going to rely on him in a pretty big way. They don't have uh, a terrific team, so I think you're going to get to see his ball handling. There is no one that I've seen. So the opposite of what we were talking about with Anthony Edwards, I've never seen someone care about an AAU basketball game as much as Scotty Lewis cares about every single game that I've seen him play in. It's just his intensity and his passion really flows out and i think maybe he'll still end up being you know a a borderline lottery pick or a top 10 pick i'm not sure exactly where you've got him but it would not surprise me at all to see this guy become a max guy uh you know 10 years down the line i think he's really going to blossom in the nba so i love sky lewis as well particularly off the floor just such a great kid and uh you're going to hear it all year his energy his passion all those buzzwords intensity um is is 10 out of 10 uh he's a vocal player just has those natural leadership qualities that I think really create a pretty high floor for him. I mean, he's going to be a good defender um, and and a good locker room guy, no matter what happens. And then offensively, we've seen flashes of, of step back jumpers and threes and slashes, crazy athletic. We've also seen the worst of Scotty Lewis where uh, he gets sped up a little bit and he he takes wild drives that have no chance. And he goes for um, the the hero mid range shot that hits nothing but backboard. (laughs) <laughs> um, so he, he's he's up in, and I'm, I'm, I have him right now as a late lottery guy to start the season. He's one of those guys who after like 15 games is either going to move up from late lottery or move down, uh, depending on where he's at offensively and his ability to execute in the half court. But he's, he's definitely um, one of the more intriguing guys. Uh, and, and again, his intangibles um, are going to be tough to beat. Yeah, I think if you know if there comes a situation where whatever happens, he just doesn't have as good a year of Florida as people think, and people start to put him late in the first round. You know, if I'm an NBA team and I think he's available in the teens at any point, especially late in the teens, he'd be a guy that I'd just swoop up for the sake of, like you said, his floor is just extremely high. He's going to be great in the locker room. He's going to be great on defense. He is going to beat himself up for every mistake he makes to the point where he will make very few mistakes, I believe. And so I think like that's he's going to be an extremely safe pick in terms of you're going to get a guy who's going to be in the league for 10 years without unless injuries you know or something like that right. uh holds it back right and then this upcoming draft a high floor um could be exactly what you need uh, to, to keep from dropping because uh absolutely right and he's going to crush it in interviews as well all right let's let's go on to some nba we'll do some quick hitters um just quick quick thoughts on some of the big moves uh the latest uh westbrook and harden teaming up you buying or selling that combo uh, I'm going to sell on that. I just, you know, I think it's the complaint. I don't think I'm breaking any new basketball ground here when I say this, but um, I don't know how Westbrook is going to fit into the way the Rockets play on offense. And I see some tension in the way that they share the ball up top. And obviously James Harden disagrees with me and he knows more about the Rockets than I do because he was the one who would have lobbied for Westbrook to come play with him. I just don't think that he's like, if you designed a player who would be the worst fit for the Rockets system, it would be <laughs> Russell Westbrook. And so I don't, 
you know, like, so maybe Russ has said he's going to take a step back. And, you know, obviously he was able to do that on a team. Like he wasn't as ball dominant when, you know, they had a big three uh, in Oklahoma City, like when Harden was there, when uh, KD was there. Uh, I think he's shown a willingness to want to win and to adjust to different styles. But I just don't see that fit on the Rockets right now. I feel like I would hate to be a Rockets fan because I feel like you're setting yourself up again to just, you know, fail some point short of going to the NBA finals. I think that's what this team's ceiling is again this year. Right. The basketball nerd in me says, okay, Westbrook can't play off the ball. He needs to dominate the ball. Um, but then you're taking it out of Harden's hands and Harden is the best in the NBA with the ball. Right. And then, and then the, the regular fan, the, the six-year-old in me says, you got these two unbelievable guards on one team. They're going to just find a way to make it work because they're both that good. And they're going to put so much pressure on opposing defenses that, that nobody's going to be able to kind of keep them um, from just from just uh, attacking and, and shot making. And uh, I'm, I'm really in between. I'm, I'm not ready to, to say that it can't work, but I'm not certainly buying stock uh, in that combo. But with, with D'Antoni there, I mean, I, I'm just like fascinated to see what a Rockets game is going to look like. How many possessions? I think they're going to be like the 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 most interesting team, and that includes you know the Clippers or whoever you think like really won free agency when it's all said and done. The Rockets are without a doubt. What how this team is going to work out is going to be the most interesting thing. This side of you know the Pelicans, I guess, would be the other one because just because they have so many moving parts. Yep. Uh, before we move on, we have an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save 10 bucks on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just 3 bucks shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. Okay, the next big move that I want to talk is Kyrie Irving um, and and Brooklyn. And I guess I'm not going to mention KD because he's not going to play next year. But how far do you think just the addition or the swap, I'd say, D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie, how much does that elevate Brooklyn? Does it elevate them? Does it put them going backwards? I mean, what does that move do for them? Yeah, I think to the people who would say that it like makes them move backwards. I think there's a lot of weird Kyrie hate that's out there. Um, and maybe he's deserved it. He, I mean, he says some weird things from time to time. And <laughs> I guess there are some concerns about like what kind of teammate he is. But like, if you're talking about a talent, if there were a draft right now of all available NBA players, is there anyone out there who really seriously thinks that D'Angelo Russell would get taken higher than Kyrie Irving? No, I wouldn't. Uh, there's no chance. And I'm a huge D'Angelo Russell fan. I think he's great. Uh, but it's just uh, from a pure talent perspective, of course, the Nets improved by replacing Kyrie, you're replacing D'Angelo Russell with Kyrie. Um, I don't know that this team, I, I'd see them as kind of the same thing without KD. I, I, and I don't think DeAndre Jordan is like the, 
the game-changing addition to the roster. So I think it's still like a young team with a decent core, and I think they end up, you know, going out in the first round of the playoffs. And then next year it gets more interesting, like you said, when, you know, Katie is healthy again. Then you think about, okay, that plus another draft pick, another offseason, you know, roster move. I don't know what kind of flexibility they have in their cap for next summer, but I think that gives them a little bit more uh, interest. That makes them a little more interesting next year with KD. I don't think that's uh, rocket science, but, you know, I do think that uh, they're kind of, I I would predict just kind of about the same season that they had this year uh, as their, as my best guess for how they're going to do this season. Me too. I'd say that they're a one and out team in the playoffs. I think this is such a critical year for Kyrie's reputation. Like if if he, if he takes Brooklyn to the second round, I mean, then then he, he gets the credit for that. And if Brooklyn doesn't have a good season or they get swept in the first round or whatever, I think that's going to reflect negatively on Kyrie. Um, What I'm still trying to decide is how much they're going to have to adjust to playing with him because he is another one of these guys who just, pounds the ball. Uh, he, he really dominates the ball. And uh, I guess Russell did too. Um, but I just feel like Kyrie has a different presence around him. Are they going to embrace him in the locker room? Is this going to take time? Um, I don't know. And I'm not really sure how much stock we should be putting in, into that in terms of his teammates and how he's going to fit with this roster, how long it's going to take. But something to think about, just tough to decide how much to uh, to weigh into your uh, total evaluation on this on this roster it's also really Um, interesting to think about like how is kd going to move into a leadership role with this team right now like how active is he going to be this year because i think that really spells the difference between them being a potential championship team in a couple years or not like is he going to be really active in the locker room is he going to be at the end of the bench every game like rooting teams mates on getting to know him you know his teammates and things like that like i don't think that he's a bad teammate but i think he can be aloof at times and so i think if he really Mm -hmm. goes full in and he and Kyrie go full in and they ingratiate themselves with this team this year that you know will make them a much better team moving forward next up the lakers who uh i gotta say i'm, I'm pretty high on and uh, i know the clippers have made a lot of noise right now who'd you take clippers or lakers i would take the lakers right now for sure uh, me, me too and me too I, I i get that people are disappointed that they didn't have you know the third guy i mean obviously if they had Kawhi, i think you'd say they're the finals favorite very clearly uh, with that big three. But I feel, I don't know if this is just me or maybe I'm in the wrong bubble of media people or whatever, but I keep coming back to the fact of like, they have Anthony Davis. Are people forgetting how good Anthony Davis is? Like he's a top five basketball player and LeBron is the best basketball player in the world until proven otherwise. So yeah, give me those two guys. I think I would take, so would I take LeBron over Kawhi right now just for the season? I would. And would I, took, would I take Anthony Davis over Paul George right now just for the season? Yes, I would. And so to me, they're the better team, even if the Clippers maybe have some other parts uh, that work out to be as a whole a little bit better on paper than the Lakers right now. But to me, they're you know the number one team in the West right up there along with whoever else you want to say the Rockets, the Lakers, you know, I think the Warriors will still potentially be good. Uh, And then we were talking earlier uh, about Denver as well, but I'd take the Lakers over the Clippers right now. And I don't know if that's contrarian. Do you think that's contrarian? Are you feeling contrarian in your Lakers over Clippers take? (laughs) Yeah, actually I am. The Clippers are, they're over under uh, win projection is 55 and a half and the Lakers are at 51 and a half. And uh, I think it should maybe flip flopped. I guess this load management is going to play a big role. Um, I don't know how many games LeBron's going to play. I don't know how many games Kawhi is going to play. 
Uh, one thing that does stand out to me, and I keep going back to these Vegas odds because I'm just fascinated by them, the MVP um, MVP odds, Giannis is the favorite at plus 300, Steph Curry plus 500, James Harden plus 700, Kawhi plus 800, LeBron plus 900, Anthony Davis plus 1,000. That would be mm. my bet. I think Anthony Davis is is the shady MVP candidate this year. Um, first off, because I think he's going to play more games than LeBron does. And I think that at the end of the day, he's going to end up getting more credit for the Lakers success, uh, maybe because of that. And um, just this whole new change of scenery, I think is going to spark new passion for Davis. I think he's going to have just a, a monster year. And again, the Lakers, I expect to, to be, you know, if not the best team in the league. And, and I, I don't even think the role players are that bad. Uh, who, who do they have? They added uh, Danny DeMarcus Green. Cousins. Um, they have yeah. Cousins, who I'm not even so sure about, but you also have Kuzma, I guess, coming off the bench. If if if, um, if Cousins starts at the five, Anthony Davis plays the four. Um, I, they have Avery Bradley. I forgot about Avery Bradley. Rondo's the backup point guard. Coldwell Pope is, is a backup. Quinn Cook, um, I think, is a valuable minutes guy off your bench. You know, yeah. Oh, completely forgot mm-hmm. about Quinn Cook. I think that's a that's a uh, obviously the, the the big stars are are, are what's going to fuel the team, but I think they got a pretty good supporting cast as well. And, and probably better than than the Clippers, who are looking at Jamichael Green and and Zubach and um, I mean Magruder and and Landry Shamit and Lou Williams off the bench is is obviously a huge plus. But I'll take that I'll take that Lakers um, that Lakers supporting cast plus LeBron and AD. And, and AD. I mean that team is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I think that the the Clippers I think are getting a little too much uh, credit for for pairing George and Kawhi in terms of projections. Yeah, to me, I mean, it just goes back to like we were talking about earlier, and I mentioned it a second ago, like, okay, so would you take Kyrie or would D'Angelo Russell go first in a draft, right? And I think it'd be Kyrie. And so to come back to it, like, if there were an NBA-wide draft just for this season only, so not thinking about LeBron's like long-term future, would LeBron still be the number one pick overall in the NBA draft? And I would say (laughs) yes, right? right? And then would Kawhi go probably two or three somewhere after that? Yes. But then like... How much higher would Anthony Davis go than Paul George? How much rather would you have Anthony Davis than Paul George? To me, he's probably five or six positions better, you know, overall. I, don't, I know the Clippers view him as a top five player, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him. Obviously, he's a phenomenal basketball player, but he's not Anthony Davis. And like you said, their role players are probably outside of Patrick Beverly, because I think he is significantly better than the third player on the Lakers roster. I think you end up with some pretty similar exchanges of talent going down there. What about the Sixers? Sixers are at 54 and a half games is their over under win total. Um, they lose Redick. They lose Jimmy Butler, but they add Al Horford, Josh Richardson. They got Zaire Smith coming in for year number two. They drafted Matisse Thybul, I think is an NBA ready guy. I mean, that team is another just stacked loaded team. Uh, where do you see the Sixers uh, in terms of the, the big picture, the, the, the top guns in the NBA? If it's 54 and a half, is there like uh, over under? I'd take the over on that uh, team uh, pretty easily. I, I, my favorite thing about the Sixers right now is it's between them and the Nuggets are like the Eastern Conference, Western Conference. I'm calling them the all bird rights team right now because they are clearly <laughs> constructing their roster around bird rights and it's really working out well for them. Like people were talking, 
I saw people commenting about how, you know, Ben Simmons wasn't worth the rookie max extension. And I just think that that is insane. If you don't think that he's <laughs> worth the rookie max extension, I don't know what game you're watching, but a guy whose floor is 18, nine and nine, and is one of the best defenders, wing defenders in the NBA already. What are more like, I get, he can't shoot three pointers, but like, has it held him back at this point so far? No. And I was, a uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest Ben Simmons believer coming out of the draft. Like I thought he should have been the number one overall pick, but like, I thought that there were some pretty significant flaws in his game that would take a little while to uh, work out. And I've been wrong. I think that he has really worked through those. And so, yeah, to me, this, the combo of Embiid, Simmons, Harris is as good as any other, you know, top three uh, in the NBA, especially in terms of like how young those guys are. I don't know if this is the year that the Sixers get into the Eastern Conference Finals, but I do think that they're a team that you'd bet on. If you had like a futures, you know, NBA draft team, you, this would be the team that you'd be looking for that's going to be like stable and successful going forward for several years. And people underrate the addition of Al Horford. I'll just say that. Uh, I think that he is a phenomenal big man still. He's getting up there in age, but I think he's going to really be a huge presence off the bench, uh, you know, an upgrade over Boban for sure. Yeah. I mean, Embiid and Horford uh, defensively is just, uh, they could be the best four or five, I guess, uh, defensive duo in the league maybe. And um, I think Tobias Harris may, may be the key. I think he's got to just take one more step and I think if he takes that one more step to, to be a, a, a lead scorer that they really need from that wing, uh, they are going to be very tough to beat and, and an NBA Finals team uh, in the near future. Let's let's finish off with uh, the New York Knicks. And obviously they uh, were in the spotlight this year by pretty much striking out. And once the top guys didn't go there, no matter what they did, they were going to get criticized for it. I'm still debating how much criticism they should get for, for what happened. But um, after they missed on the top guys, do you like what they did signing these one, two-year contracts? Or do you think it's just a waste of time that they should have just got the rookies in and start developing these Yeah, to me, I felt like it felt like from afar as a kind of save face move. Uh, that's what it struck me as. And, you know, I'm <laughs> friends with a lot of Knicks fans and <laughs> I think that's the way that they felt as well. Uh, I guess, you know, to me, you do have so many young and talented and potentially really strong players on the Knicks that I don't understand why you are trying to defer away from them. Like, do you feel like if you're the Knicks front office that this team that you put together gives you a better chance of making the NBA than just putting the ball in RJ Barrett's hand and just giving it a go and trying to figure out the best, you know, use of him or like trying to make Mitchell Robinson into like a really focal point on your offense rather than just this great defender? Like, I would have rather seen them experiment with their young guys then try to sign like Bobby Portis like I, I guess you know he improves you somewhat but to the point where it makes any kind of difference I don't see that and so that to me is interesting I mean we talked about it before but it was just such a false expectation that Nick's the Knicks fans maybe put on the Knicks or that the Knicks kind of, you know, disseminated to their fans. But I was telling people as far back as All-Star Week at Charlotte that, like, nobody has a higher ceiling and a lower floor than the Knicks in free agency. Like, the best-case scenario for them was KD, Kyrie, and Zion. And obviously they went 0 for 3 on those guys and then went even further down. I think the Knicks name brand just isn't where – it used to be people are clearly still willing to go to the Lakers, uh, even though there's some dysfunction in that front office. But the shine is so far off the Knicks that they really need to reinvest in how they're pitching free agents, how they're acquiring talent and what they're doing with their talent, because it is just 
not great right now. And it won't be long if it is like this, that young talent like RJ Barrett is not going to want to sign an extension there. <laughs> wow. Shades of <laughs> KP. Um, I think what I, I think, I think the, um, the, the strategy w- was obvious once they struck out in the top guys, uh, they said, we just got to build back some credibility. We, we can't have another 17 win season. Uh, everyone's going to turn on us again and, and we got to do something. Um, and so what they did was go out and sign some good role players uh, to, to maybe increase their win total and, and role players who um, uh, there's a pattern. They're all kind of, they're kind of tough. I mean, Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, Marcus Morris. I mean, these are tough guys. Uh, and, uh, and Ellington's a nice veteran and, and Portis has some talent in him. And so they, they tried to improve their credibility here um, with player personnel. Now, it's not going to translate to a lot of wins, but it's going to be more than 17. The question is, how much is it going to hold back the rookies, or is it going to help them? You know, Barrett having some some talent to play off, whereas opposed to last year with Knox, who was pretty bad for most of last year in terms of efficiency, because he had nobody to play off. It was like, okay, give the ball to Knox, and and now you have to create something out of nothing, which is not one of his strengths, and that's yeah. why he shot thirty seven percent or whatever. And so I, I see it works both ways. Um, I, again, no matter what they did after they missed on the top guys, it, it was not going to be a good move. Had they done nothing, it would have been a bad move. Had they they signed Morris and Randall and still considered a, a bad move. So we'll see what happens. I think the best thing that they could do is trade some of these guys, hopefully get first round picks at the deadline. I think the best thing to happen, honestly, to the Knicks this offseason was drafting Iggy Brasdakis from Michigan. Absolutely. So I think it's going to be a steal and uh, just someone else to get excited about, I guess, along with Trier and Barrett. Um, big Let me deal. ask you uh, yeah. one question about the Knicks. Who who do you think is the best player on the Knicks this season? <laughs> I think it's Marcus Morris, honestly. Or, I mean, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I guess Randall. I guess Randall. But um, the best player on the Knicks this year, I'd probably say a total all around player is Marcus Morris. Um, in terms of, I mean, he, he plays some D. He plays a little bit of O, um, and he gives you the most complete package. I think of basketball player uh, compared to anyone. Now Randall's going to lead the team in scoring. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of all-around player, I think Marcus Morris is probably their best player right now. And, and um, I'm really excited to see what Mitchell Robinson does. I hope that Portis doesn't take too many minutes from him or Taj Gibson doesn't take too, minutes, too many minutes because Mitchell Robinson's got to figure out how to play. I mean, we see how talented he is, but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing out there. So he needs this year um, to improve his basketball IQ and awareness. And, and by the end of the season, maybe Robinson could be the best player on the floor. But um, I don't have any true confidence of where his ceiling goes. And, and this is really a big year for Dennis Smith Jr. Um, in, in terms of his NBA trajectory. I mean, if he can't beat out Alfred Payton for the starting job by the end of the season, then I think we could start to lower Dennis Smith's ceiling. What's your take on Dennis Smith? Yeah, I, I would be right in there with you. And especially if you can't beat Alfred Payton. I mean, Alfred Payton is a guy who's kind of on the fringe of the NBA right now. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't think that he's uh, – I don't think that he's really made a, a name for himself. And I was just going to say, going back to what you were saying about, I, I, I could probably agree with you on Marcus Morris being the best player on the Knicks right now. And just think about the fact that your best player, potentially, it's an argument is Marcus Morris. Right? <laughs> I just, you know, you can't say that you did okay in an off season. When you come away, you go into the next season and you say, who's your best player? And you say, I don't know, but it's probably Marcus Morris. <laughs> it's not, so funny. That's not a successful season, right? I'm, I'm not crazy here. Like that is not a successful off season. Uh, and he's, and, probably, he's probably going to be also their best player is probably going to be the guy that they trade yeah. um, after three months. Exactly. Because he's the only one who can get them a first round pick. Anything, right? He's the only one that yeah. can get them anything unless they're really willing to cut bait on some young guys early on. Yeah. 
which they won't do. Anyway, I think we've uh, we've babbled on for long enough. Hmm. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks to David Gardner. Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you're working on? Uh, no, just uh, hang out at Bleacher Report. You can find both of our work there. And uh, should we give them our editor's email address so we can get that trip to Australia, New Zealand? <laughs> so that can, can your listeners flood in the inboxes? Just send, a, yeah. send some notes on our behalf. Yeah, um, any support we'd appreciate. And David, if you want to start working on that pitch, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. So I'm over it. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, feel free to tweet at us at by David Gardner. That's right. And at, at NBA Draft Was. Um, and we will talk soon. Thanks again.